And I'm going I'm to ask you to remain standing, remain standing as we get ready to hear the word of the Lord. And I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to chapter 5, verse 2. Just before I do so, I'd like you to join me in praying uh, this prayer that we kind of do on a weekly basis to remind us all of the great dependence we have on the Spirit of God to speak truth to our hearts and minds. So will you pray this prayer with me? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and your Word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Hear the Word of the Lord. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Can I get an amen? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Just before I start in on my message, I just want to uh, say a couple of things. Uh, we don't usually do this, but I do want to acknowledge a couple of birthdays tomorrow. Jolene and Fabian are celebrating birthdays tomorrow. Fabian just looked at me like, why would you out me like that? <laughs> I figure after the season we've had, we need something to celebrate, and why not birthdays? And so, happy birthday to the both of you. Glad you're a part of the community of faith. And here's all of us uh, wishing you happy birthday by putting our hands together. If you, don't know, if you don't know who they are, they'll be at the back of the church when you leave, so you can wish them well. A couple of other things. Uh, I am going to be taking a few weeks off um, starting this coming week. You'll miss me. There is a point to this. Uh, but one of the things that we want to do in the next couple of weeks is we want to give opportunity for some of our developing upcoming local licensed ministers to preach the Word of God. And some people might say, well, you know, uh, 
that's all good and fine. It's kind of neat that we do that, but I want to use the opportunity to explain why. One of the commitments of our church is to develop the next generation of leaders. One of the desires of our church is to pass on our faith well to the next generation. And one of the most important things we can do as a community of faith is always think about who we are mentoring and who we are bringing up after us. And so in the coming weeks, you will hear from our brother Owatotsi Chabaroni next, next Sunday. You don't want to miss that. And then you'll hear from Jake Ashton, who is doing his internship with us and is in the ministry program at Ambrose uh, the following week. And the last week, I'm going to leave as a surprise just so that you would come to that service also. A preschool teacher directed a five-year-old boy who had just struck another kid on the playground to go over and apologize to that kid. A few minutes later, the boy struck again. And as the teacher made his way over to this little boy, this repeat offender, if you will, he said, don't worry, I'll apologize to him later. Missing the point entirely. If you're a parent, you probably understand what it's like to try and instruct your kids and teach your kids principles, and somehow they'll grasp a part of it, but not the whole of it. In fact, I want to suggest to us this morning, and maybe you're smarter than me, but I think sometimes when we read text like this, we kind of miss the point. Sometimes we think this text is simply a, a list of moral code, a, a way of doing things that God wants us to do. But the Apostle Paul would have us understand that within the letter to the Ephesians, within his communication to the church, he is trying to express to them that God has given them all they need to live in such a way that they would become the very image bearers of God in the world. In other words, Paul is giving the church much more than just a list of to-dos or not to-dos. He is saying that because of what God has given us through Jesus Christ, we have everything we need to live lives that are not only pleasing to God, but that reveals God. Thank you, Jennifer. That was a very good point, if I may say so myself. I think Paul is not being prescriptive. He's being descriptive. I think Paul is saying that when the church functions in the hope of who God is and what he has given the church, the church looks like the things we've just read right now. The church operates in a different way. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, just a couple of chapters before this, would say when the church operates well, it is like a, a well put together building. In fact, he uses the phrase, the terminology of a temple that has been well constructed. He says the prophets and the apostles are the foundation. And he says Jesus is the cornerstone. And the church is built together in a holy way unto the glory of God. What a great image. Now, just for some of you who said, you know, I've heard that Jesus is the foundations too, not the apostles and the prophets. 
Yeah, except that here Paul chooses to say that Jesus is the cornerstone and the apostle and the prophets are the foundation. What on earth is going on? Well, I, I think going back to the way in which they constructed buildings, Paul knowing his audience is suggesting that the cornerstone is kind of the, the rock that gave the whole building its shape and, uh, and, and its strength. And he's suggesting uh, that Jesus is so significant to who we will be as the church, he's the indispensable cornerstone upon which everything else derives its strength. Uh, let me put it differently. Jesus is awesome, and he is essential to us becoming who God has destined us to be. But then in a absolutely life-transforming sermon last week, amen, by Pastor Ryan, he expressed that not only did God give us Jesus Christ as this cornerstone, but God gives the church with people to help the church become all that it needs to be. And he referenced the list that Paul uses, which is apostles and prophets, pastors and evangelists and priests. And if you have not caught it, he also suggested that sometimes when we look at this list, we think, well, that's the only categories, therefore I'm not in it, and therefore I am not a part of things. But as he rightly pointed out, Paul is describing what the church needed for the time and the age in which it was. And the same God who gives the Ephesian church what it needs is the same God that gives Skyview Church what it needs to be the church that God wants us to be. Come on now. You know why that's important? Because a lot of people operate out of a deficiency mindset. If the church just had more, if we had a better preacher, a stronger worship, a more creative youth program, more expansive and intentional outreach programs, if we just had the right kind of strategy, maybe we'll become the church that God wants us to be. Paul would put it this way, in Christ God has not only given us our salvation, the starting point to a life in God, but he has gifted and called people to work within the church so that the church will become all it needs to be. And on top of that, when the church operates in this fashion, he seals the church with the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now that's some good preaching. If you're visiting with us, I'm not really full of myself. It's my attempt at humor. So, I was talking to my staff this past week, and I said, uh, I said, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I was a lot more creative than I am today. It's just true. I'm going to say some really hard things. Adulting just takes all the creativity right out of you. <laughs> and so I was thinking about how do I help us to understand this incredible theology of the church, and this is my attempt. Uh, this is, do you know what this is? What is this called? Who said that? Sounded like a young voice, that's Wally. Oh, right back there, Benjamin. Do you know where the word Jenga comes from? It comes from the Swahili word, Kujenga. Did you know that? Now you know it, you've learned something. 
And it simply means this, to build. To build, to construct. I think what Paul is teaching us about the church is that if Jesus is the foundation and God gives the gifts that we need to be the church, then something dynamic is happening. We are being built up. So if you think about the church and you want to evaluate any church you go to, you have to ask yourself this question. Are we being built up and are we maturing and we becoming more and more the people that God wants us to be? If you're a part of Skyview, here's one of the questions you should ask. Have I grown in the grace and in the fruits of the Spirit, in my generosity, in my love, in my joy, in my peace, in my kindness? Have I, have I grown in my steadfastness and my faithfulness? Have I grown in my capacity to forgive and to allow others to receive forgiveness? Have I changed as God has worked in and through our community of faith to make me more like Jesus Christ. Uh, many people get this wrong, like the boy on the playground. They step into a church and they assume that because we say we're Christian, we all have it together. They assume and they measure and they evaluate the church in, in ways that challenges uh, pastors and leaders to try and make a church that which is not. Paul would teach us that where God has ensured we can begin is not where God intends for us to end. He who has begun a good work in us is faithful to bring such work unto completion. Where are you? And how are you doing? I need five brave individuals. Uh, if you want to raise your hand, you're going to come up here. I'm not going to make you say anything. I need an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher. Doug, we're going to go with you as a teacher. Brittany, we're going to go with you as a pastor. Now we're going to see what the rest of the church thinks about some of you. Who's the prophet? Point them out. Who's the prophet? You're the prophet back there? Okay, come on up. I'm, I'm calling you out. Pastor Brittany, Pastor Doug, come on up. What are we missing? We're missing a, uh, an evangelist. Ah, Jennifer, Loars, come on over. We're missing one more person. Apostle. <laughs> I've never seen you look down at yourself like that. You know? So like, if I look down, he doesn't see me. I don't see him. He won't call me out. Jackson. Apostle Jackson. Now, each one of you is going to get hand sanitizer. <laughs> What's your name? Cruz. Cruz? That is the coolest name ever. Because we want to be respectful. Have you ever played Jenga, Jen? You're playing it in front of 150 people today. Here is the gifts that God has given the church. And together, we want to grow. And so these men and women and crews are going to play a game of Jenga to make a point. Okay? Now you can applaud when they get it right, and if it crashes, you know where the problem lies in the church. 
So we're going to start with you, Cruz. Do you know how to play this? Okay, why don't you go ahead and take out the first block? Where is he going to go? You haven't played with big ones? Why don't you push this one right here? No? Try this one. I do the touch test. This one? Nothing? We're in trouble, Cruz. No? No? Nothing? Whoa. Very well done. Yeah. We'll go with you, Pastor Britt. Let's see what you got. I'll stand out of the way so others can see. She is so upset with me now that I called her up here. <laughs> On a side one. That's a little daring, isn't it? Okay. She's a pastor, so she must know what she's doing. <laughs> now, Pastor Britt, I'm sorry. You've got to create space for the next block. Your block has to be moved over all the way to the... I don't want to say what role I'm playing. <laughs> Jan, let's see what you got. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jen is a part of our prayer team and she's praying right now. You got it. You got it. Just nice, slow, and steady. <laughs> it's okay. You got it. If this falls, it really defeats the purpose of my illustration. No pressure. Cornerstone. Cornerstone. Solid foundation. Reverend Doug, you ready? I thought this would go a lot faster, but they're really careful. Doug, this is not looking good for a teacher. Right at the base. I know what some of you are thinking. Did I come to church to watch Jenga? Okay, Jackson, you go. No pressure. What say he, one more round, or should we just give them a break right here? We'll give them a break right here. Let's put our hands together for them as a group. Thanks, guys. Afterwards, cruising and come and finish it, okay? Uh, simple illustration to make the point that I think today, more than ever, we need to recover what it means to be a part of the church. There are callings, there are people that have been given the church that has to work towards helping us to mature and grow. But each person, Paul would say, has to be fit together, has to work together. I cannot think of a more challenging message to an individualized culture than to say this. You cannot be a Christian without being in relationship with others who helps you to become all that God wants you to be. Do not measure the church by the externals, but look at the place where you are becoming more and more the person God has called you to be. In fact, the high Christology that Paul has in Ephesians 
the way, wonderful ways he speaks about Jesus and the dynamic ways he speaks about the ecclesia or the people of God makes it way down into the ordinary relationships that we have with one another. And if you want to be a part of a church that is becoming the people that God wants us to be, then there are some principles, and I'm just going to name a few. There's a lot more in the text than I can do justice to. But I'm going to give you some principles of what, or characteristics of what makes us a people that are growing together in the grace of God. In verse 25 and verse 26, we read, So then, putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Here's the first principle. We ought to be a people who welcomes truth within community. Now, let me just pause and tell you what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that truth serves a greater purpose than just being right. Truth spoken in community is a way in which we learn to love one another, not just for the sake of our own rights, but for the sake of our witness together as the people of God. Let me say it this way. Truth outside of relationship can often lead to rejection and rebellion. Truth within the context of community and relationship even if it is hard to hear, even if it is convicting and challenging, is intended to build up so that we together may grow in grace, in faith, and in hope. Disconnected truth. Ah, social media. We just post our things up there. No regard for person, no connection to the people we sometimes accuse, no care, concern for the ways in which words can ultimately hurt, harm, and bind. Let me just say this, church. I was going to speak long on social media. I am not anti-technology. I have a Facebook account. Yeah, I'm cool like that. I even tweet at times, and I'm getting on Insta. <laughs> the youth pastor's laughing because he knows how cool I am. But it seems we live in a world where we want the right to say things without the responsibility of community and relationship. Not only is truth dangerous that is disconnected from relationship and people, but truth within a community serves to restore and help us become not only the people who God wants us to be, but to learn to trust one another enough so that we can be those encouragers within each other's life. Some love truth for the power that it gives them over others. Jesus loved truth for the liberation it brought to people. Let me say that again. Some love truth for the power that it gives them over others. Jesus loved truth for the liberation that it brought to those who are bound. The church who loves people speaks truth not for the sake of power, 
but truth for the sake of love so that the church, the called out people of God, would in every way become who God has destined them to be. Can I get a witness? Every Thursday morning, I meet with a, a brother in Christ. He's not in our church. He's my accountability partner. We model our conversations on a, uh, John Wesley's band questions. That makes sense to some of you. We ask each other questions like this. What temptations have you faced with this week? And how has God delivered you? If you have met with temptations and you have succumbed, what sin is there in your life that you must confess to God? We ask each other, where has the Holy Spirit been leading you, guiding you? Where has God moved your heart towards caring for the least of these? You, you see, uh, there is this theology that is pervasive in our culture, one that appreciates the complete work of Jesus and we are saved and, and we belong because of the sacrifice of Jesus and the Apostle Paul does such a brilliant job in Romans of expounding how significant Jesus has been to, 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 to dying in our place so that we won't have to live uh, under the yoke of bondage and slavery. But we stop short when we don't realize this, that those whom Christ has bought at a dear price are invited to respond to the freedom and life he has given them by learning to become in speech and in conduct, in life and in relationship, the people of integrity that Jesus has called us to be. Therefore, as those saved by grace, we respond to grace in community and we live in such a way in relationship with one another that we bring the very best out of each other even when we challenge one another on things that are incredibly hard to face. This idea, and this is easy to do in community, it's easy to start saying things about people we have no relationship with. It's easy to create distance. You can even be in the same church. Can I get an amen now? <laughs> you can be in the same church and develop all kinds of perspectives about that one and this one. I'll never forget one of the most powerful lessons I've learned as a young pastor when I came here. I was so full of, you know, zest. Let's, say, let's use zest. <laughs> I don't know. Why were you laughing on that? I, I was. And, and I remember meeting someone that just looked so put together. Me, Everything was perfect about this person. When this person asked me to meet with me because they had a problem, I was shocked. You know, there's a part of me that wanted to say, really? You know, there's people with probably bigger problems. Until I sat down with that person and, and learned their story and learned how that grace has upheld them as they have lived with, with challenges that I cannot even fathom. And when my, 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 my perspective of the person was overcome through a relationship in which I got to know them, I thought of that person very differently than I did before I took the plunge to get to know them. 
I'm going on vacation, so I'm saying some things. Church of God, if we want truth to shape our community, learn to love your neighbor. Learn to look at this community not as just distant people that we just see on a week-to-week basis, but learn to walk with people. These are not my notes. I was just going to start singing. Learn to listen to the needs of people. Learn to pray for people. Learn to find someone that can help you to overcome what you're struggling with. Come on now. Learn to draw upon the gifts of Christ, his salvation, the spirit, but also the church. So that we may grow. I've got two more points. All God's people says amen. I once heard a preacher say that truth without relationship does not lead to transformation. Some of y'all just got to stop posting stuff on social media. And get to know people. People who welcome truth within community, but also a people who know how to deal with anger. There's no way you can read this text without realizing that Paul is saying this. That anger happens. Anger itself is not a sin. There are times in our life where getting upset for the right reasons is good. But Paul says the believing community knows how to deal with anger. They know that if you let anger go too long, if you give anger a long leash, it will be like setting a field ablaze. And it will leave nothing but destruction in its wake. When Paul says... Don't let the sun go down on your anger. He's saying even in those moments where you are upset, conflicted, and angry, make every attempt for anger not to remain and persist, but seek reconciliation and peace if it is in your capacity and ability to do so. Man, does it seem to me that we are facing a a tidal wave of angry people. People who are so mad feel that others have robbed them from what they need, feel that others are to blame for their circumstance, feel that they are justified to act in ways that betrays their identity as followers of Jesus because their feelings have been hurt. Listen, you can be angry And I don't know how else to say this other than to say it the way Paul does. But don't let anger eat you up and make you sour to the point where you don't look anything like the person God desires you to be. I'm going on vacation. That was not the right time to say that. (laughs) We've been waiting for it, Stu. We've been praying. (laughs) Do not sin in your anger. 
I need, I, I need to say some things here. I think the church needs to be angry at some things that it doesn't get angry at. You know, sometimes, you know, when I started with the illustration of the boy who misses the point, I think sometimes we're angry at things that, that Jesus really kind of just throws his hands up and go, really? That's what you're angry about? There are things in life that is happening in our world, that happening in our society, that's happening in our communities that should frustrate and anger us. But as the church, we do not act out of anger. But we learn how to be those who seek the peace of God in community with His Spirit and in relationship with one another. When you come to a church, please, whether it's this church, which I happen to think is awesome, or another church, please don't come expecting perfect people. But at the same time, don't expect that you won't be challenged to become more like Jesus. I get the feeling that some people will say, I want to go to a church that accepts me just as I am, but I don't want to have to deal with that anger problem. I want to have the license to let it all out when I feel like it. I want to have the permission. If that's what acceptance means, that is not what grace is. Grace is not the permission to continue on in a life of sin. Jesus said this very clearly. Grace invites us to begin with the acceptance of God, but the power of God through His Spirit seeks to transform hearts and lives into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. If you haven't got the message yet, we are a church that believes in the transforming power of God. A church that knows how to deal with anger. We are a people who are not takers but contributors to the needs of others. In verse 28 it says, thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. You know, texts like this are interesting because the moment we hear thieves, we go, that's not me. In ancient times, uh, thievery, is that a proper use of the word? I got a teacher right in the front here, so. He teaches math, though, so I don't know about language, but uh, he nodded. Thievery. Uh, Apparently, at the Roman baths and at the docks, people were stealing all the time. And a lot of times, uh, stealing happened out of the, the needs that people had. What was stolen at the baths were clothing. Uh, And in a society in which people don't have what they need, this tends to happen. Now, in a society where people have what they need, it also happens. But I think it's exponentially more true in places like where I come from, where poverty is so widespread that people grab, take, steal in order to have. Hear what Paul is saying. He says a church who does work with integrity, with their own hands. I like how visual that is. A church that works hard to make that which it can with its own hands does so not only so that we may be okay. But such a church 
has the desire to meet the needs of those who don't have. And perhaps by extension, in doing so, save people from finding other means that are not God-honoring to meet their needs. Could it be that the generous church, the hard-working church, the church that conducts its work with integrity, the people that give sacrificially of their time, their energy, and their finances so that others will be blessed becomes a means of saving people from lives that don't honor God. Every Tuesday, here in this lobby, we have a group of people who come together to give people groceries. Some people would say, well, la-dee-da. We even built a, a garden. Did you see it? I'm just going to plug the garden. It looks fantastic. I can see it right through here. It's flourishing. And they are literally, I feel so cool about this, <laughs> taking the very produce from the earth and giving fresh produce to people who need it. <laughs> Some people would say to me, well, you know, everybody else, there's other people who do that. You know, uh, you know I, I don't know why that's so significant to you as a pastor, why you're getting all excited about it. I think because I, I'm listening to Scripture these days and I'm, I'm hearing how Paul would have us understand that, that, that we are proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ and, and that looks robust, it looks full, it sometimes looks like preachers inviting people to repent of their sins at an altar and at other times, the same gospel hope puts fresh veggies on the table of someone who's really down on their luck. I use that illustration, that example, to say to some of us here that, you know, let's stop looking at the church as deficient. Let's stop measuring the church as inadequate. Let's stop projecting a worldview that says we need more to be happy. Let's dig in. Let's work hard here. Let's love each other the way we need to. Let's speak truth with one another. Let's encourage each other. Let's worship one another. Let's grow veggies together and become who God wants us to be. I have two more, but I'm just going to share one. No amens. You're catching on. A people who uses our words to build people up and not to tear them down. Listen to verse 29 and 30. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. As there is need. So that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with the seal for the day of redemption. 
Have you ever heard the saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me? Bollocks. Nonsense. Some of you live with the, sh the, the labels that others have put on you when you were a kid. Some of us believe the lies that we have been told by others. Some of the self-talk in our minds are so toxic that we cannot think that we are any good to anyone. Words have the power to bring despair and to bring division. Words have the power to tear down and to destroy. Just look at our world. Look at what is being said. And look at the postures it's creating within people. But the counterbalance to toxic words, to bad speech, to tearing people down, is to learn to use the tongue that God has given us to speak life and hope and truth and love as Jesus did to his disciples. Let me ask you a very straightforward question. How is your language today building up or is it tearing down? When I was growing up back home in South Africa, I was called many names. Uh, I grew up in uh, an apartheid culture, apartheid as we would call it, some South Africans here who understand what I mean. And with it came a, a whole slew of derogatory terms that, you know, it wasn't just certain people who said that. We kind of all fell into that pit of using words that were just so painful. You know, those words have, have lived in my head at times. And if I've been transparent with you, I've had to, I've had to work real hard to not believe those words. I was taking uh, graduate studies in, um, in a college in Manchester, and I had met a guy from Nova Scotia. I think East Coasters are just, they're just more Jesus-like than many people. <laughs> West Coasters are also okay, but in the middle, though, you know what the Bible says about that. Uh, I was standing and I told the story before and with this I end. I was uh, going through a pretty rough time. I was so challenged in my academic studies. I, I felt so insignificant, so insecure. Some of you won't know that the way I speak today because you would think, well, it looks like he's always, had a, he's always been a little cocky. Confidence together. You see, I share this in community because I want you to kind of come close. You know, sometimes people look at the pastor and go, oh, you know, that's who he is. You know. Let's not talk to him. But I want you to kind of see my humanity. I struggled incredibly with insecurity. 
Most of my schooling, by the way, was interrupted by, you know, rubber bullets and, and buckshot and tear gas. I grew up during the days in which we were protesting as high school students a way of life that demeaned people of color. I had very little hope, very little hope of having a career. No one talked to me about the possibilities when you graduate. In fact, the underlying idea for me growing up was simply just make it through without getting hurt and maybe getting a certificate. I want to say this carefully. I'm, I'm studying, I'm doing a doctorate right now. <laughs> there you go, bad words. <laughs> Uh, there you go, whispers of Satan. Uh, uh, there you go, everything that sought to say I cannot amount to much. If my parents were here today, I, I think they'd be proud of me. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. Uh, as your pastor who preaches here week after week, many years going to my 13th year. 13th year. You bet you didn't think I'd make it 13 months, but God has been faithful to me. He's been good to me. And, 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 and at that college in Manchester, this guy walked up to me, and, and in my moment of insecurity with the words of condemnation, the upbringing that said, you cannot amount to much, spoke loudly. You know what I found over the years is that I've put very, met very well put together people that still struggle with those labels and those words and those things that were said to them. And I've long desired to say this to your community. You know what started the work of healing in my own life is when this East Coaster walked up to me under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. I have no other words but to say it this way. And he spoke these words into my heart and to my soul, the words of life and hope. And he said, if your dad was here today, he would be proud of the man you've become. And everything in me gave way to grace and to love and to faith. I stand before you this day because there have been men like that gentleman who has used his words to build me up. And I felt like I was being torn down. Who in your life needs words to build them up? When is the last time you've spoken life-giving words, not words of criticism, not words of inadequacy, come on now, not words of blame, not words of suspicion, not lies, not falsities, not implying something, but words that broke through the hearts of people and spoke to their greatest need. 
William Barclay, an old commentator, now I'm dating myself, but to be fair, it's a commentary that Pastor Ryan passed on to me, says, there are reputations murdered over a cup of tea every day. That's an old reference, but bear with me. People used to apparently do this, drink a lot of tea together and gossip. And when a man sees a tailbearer coming, that's the word for those who do that, slander, he would do well to shut the door in his face. I thought I'd translate that. Perhaps we would say today, there are many reputations murdered over social media. And we may do well when we see a character assassination online to unfollow him or her. But in community, what would it look like for us to use our words to build each other up? What would it look like for us to speak the truth because we love one another? What would it look like for us to not let anger lead us, but the Holy Spirit to guide us? Therefore, says Paul, in light of what Jesus has done and the gifts he has given the church, be imitators of God. As beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The worship team is going to come. They are going to lead us in a song. And um, Ryan opened the opportunity last week, and I want to kind of piggyback on him and say, we love praying with people. We can pray for you every week in our staff meeting. We, we pray. We have a prayer sheet with most of your names on it. We pray for you on a daily basis looking at those sheets. And if you're not on that list, we want to pray for you. Give us your name. We also have these prayer benches, places where we model for our children, you know, what it means to trust God, what it means to confess that which is not right. You know, people, I, I've said this so many times over the years, we do church not only for ourselves, we do church for the sake of a generation we want to raise. If our kids cannot see Parents who rely upon the grace of God and not just their own will, determination, and strength to live as God wants them to live, where will they see it? Where will they learn it? And so I, I want to challenge you to live your life with the integrity and the honesty and the openness that Paul encourages and to, at times, when you say, Stu, I need God's mercy and grace today to come and find it here. Perhaps there's somebody sitting here going, I'm struggling with anger. It's consuming me. I'm so mad at somebody you can't even imagine. Perhaps today the Spirit is saying, reach out. Take the first step. Call. Maybe the Lord is bringing someone to heart right now saying, I want you to call a person and I want you to bless them. I want you to write a letter. How, how significant would that be? Uh, I want you to bless somebody. But as we sing, I invite you to respond to the Spirit's leading in your life as God so desires. Would you stand as we sing together?